The word is propitiation. It may be a word that you've not used very often. It may be a word that you don't hear very often. I won't ask you how many times that you might have used it, and I just want to make sure that parents and kids understand this is not a challenge to use the word. I can hear uh, Carter going home during the week and saying propitiation over and over again, drive Julie crazy. And he said, well, the preacher said I was supposed to use the word, so it's not a challenge. Uh, but it is a word that is used several times in the Bible that most of the time, and, and I will be kind and gracious because I have been there before too, uh, I'm still there quite often when you, no matter how many times I practice a name or a word, uh, then you get up in the pulpit to say it and it's never going to sound right or the way that you think it should. I've still been thankful that Keith is my friend after I made him get up and read a bunch of names back in the spring uh, from Ezra or Nehemiah uh, because you sit there and you stare at it and you go, I, it doesn't make sense no matter how you look at it. You know, I, I see the word prop. I know that's there. And again, any name or anything, we just sometimes get thrown off with these words. The word propitiation is connected with our word from last week, which is justification, it's connected with the word atonement, even as we've talked the last few weeks about the idea of the cross, Jesus' death on the cross. Last Sunday morning, our lesson was the final scenes of the king, and we thought about Jesus' sacrifice, and we think about justification, we think about atonement. The word that we don't usually think about then is propitiation, because though it's in a couple of key places and we read it, in fact, we're going to turn to a couple of those in just a few moments, and we, we know several verses, but then we get to this section and we say, wait a minute, I, I, don't, I want to skip over that. I don't understand exactly what that is. I've struggled with this a little bit, even this week, trying to, to figure out the best way to explain, even for myself to fully comprehend. I think we've maybe boiled it down to a couple of things that will help us at least have a, just a simple understanding when we come across this word of what the Bible is trying to tell us. Let me first share with you an illustration that just sort of sets the stage. It's a story that's told of a faithful Christian who dreamed, and it's a sort of a dream sequence, but a dreamed of Satan unrolling a large scroll. And in this dream, on the scroll was a list of every sin that that Christian, that man, had committed. There was a sparkle in the devil's eye thinking that he had just escorted another person, another man, into the den of doubt. Instead, the man replied, There is one thing you have not written on this scroll. And what would that be? asked the devil. Then the man quoted the words of 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And again, in this kind of dream sequence, when he finished, every word on the scroll vanished, and it was as spotless as his soul. We mentioned last week, as we talked about the word justification, we struggle with these things sometimes. And one reason why is because of the instantaneous nature that they can occur. Now, we realize that as we look around this room, many of us have been, become Christians at different points in our life. I've shared with you before, it's not good, bad, or indifferent. I was raised attending services of the church. I was baptized at a very young age after being in a class and, a, and an older teacher encouraging us to think about those things. Kind of at the age where you wonder sometimes, well, I don't have any big sin, you know, that I need forgiveness of. When, you know, and, and sometimes people are, are baptized at a young age. Others of you sometimes say, well, I made it to 20 or 
40 or 50 before I started becoming, before I started attending services, wanted to become a Christian, became faithful to the Lord. When you're at that age, the difference is, is that sometimes there is a big sin maybe, or there is a sinful lifestyle that you live. And the idea that something as simple as stepping into the water and being baptized and then rising to walk in newness of life is really hard to, to imagine because of what the past holds. Someone says, I've lived a life of alcoholism. I've lived of life of doing whatever I wanted. And you mean to tell me that I can be baptized, plunge into the water, and rise again, and all that's done away with, it's gone? We struggle with trying to understand that because even though it's forgiven by God, we struggle with putting it out of our mind. And I've said before, I don't know that that's all a bad thing. Yes, we do need to let go of the past, but there is a sense in which we can be encouraged to remember those so that we won't go that path any longer. I ask you to turn to 1 John, but first look at 1 Peter chapter 2, not too far away there. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 24. The website that we use, I believe it's connected to our, the congregation's website, and then I also have, have had access to these slides, sometimes has some preset slides that I'll find to go along with the lesson. And, you know, they're, they're usually good, but they're not always, you know, perfectly in line with maybe the direction I'm wanting to take it. I couldn't help but use, as I did a search for the word propitiation, I couldn't help but look at this slide, the idea of Jesus' hands, the nail-scarred hands. Now, they reference 1 Peter 2.24, which is important to the discussion, though not exactly on the word propitiation. But there it reminds us that Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, and then sort of, you know, in the way the sentence is structured, by whose stripes you were healed. The idea, of course, of Jesus' sacrifice. We sing this song, again, this is not connected to the idea of the word, so I didn't ask Don to lead it in particular, but we sing the words sometimes, and it is connected to Jesus' death and what he did, that Jesus paid it all. But what about this word propitiation? One place that it's used, maybe just to turn backwards again in your Bible, to 1 John chapter 2. There's a couple of, of major places that it's discussed. One of those is 1 John 2, beginning in verse 1. Now you'll notice that sometimes, and on the screen, I did it this morning, we quote 1 John 1, and it's a great passage. The illustration, the man in the illustration quotes 1 John 1, 7. The idea of walking in the light as Jesus is in the light, that we have fellowship with one another, with the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The encouraging reminder that we do not have to be perfect. God knows that once we are forgiven of our sins in baptism, that we are placed into Christ, we are placed into his church, we're not going to be perfect. But the blood of Jesus works in such a way that we don't have to be. If we are walking in the light, there is a blessed assurance, there is a peace that we should feel when we're walking in the light. The rest of the chapter, and even in chapter 2, has such great commentary on our relationship with Jesus, including, and really chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, may be connected to chapter 1 in your Bible. They're not numbered, but just as far as maybe paragraphs. John writes, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But no, you know what? We're not going to be perfect. So he goes on. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Again, I feel like sometimes as we, and many of you, trying to be good Bible students, but also understanding that sometimes you got to dig deep. Right, And we read 1 John 1 into 1 John 2 and we're, we're amening and we feel like it's great. And then we get to verse 2 and he is our propitiation. And we go, I'm going to skip over that part. You know, I don't quite understand what that means. Two ways here to try to begin to help us understand. First of all, one way that we might say it is that defined, the word means the price tag for my sin has been paid in full. The price tag for my sin has been paid in full. And the reason I don't want you to skip over verse 2, and again, the challenge is to myself, when we sometimes struggle with understanding uh, biblical words or, or the idea in the context, the reason I don't want you to miss it is because of the end of verse 2, that he himself is not only the propitiation for our sins, but for the whole world. The gospel is for all. Jesus died for all. He paid it all for all. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't know about you, but that's the same opening in my Bible. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. God wants all men everywhere to repent. That's his desire. Jesus shed his blood. He paid the price so that we can have our sins taken away. He, he fulfilled that. I was listening to a, a preacher, uh, Gary Hampton, who I uh, recently held a meeting in Dunlap, but he it was doing this was a lesson from somewhere else in Tennessee from maybe a couple of years ago. But he was talking about this idea of propitiation. His description was is that when he was a child, he loved baseball. And once they were playing on the sandlot, you know, field, the grass, and the pizza box was second base, and a tire was first base, and he hit a ball, and of course it cleared the trees that they had designated was a home run, which was all celebratory until, until he heard the shattering of the glass, right, on the other side of the trees. So everybody, of course, he tells the story, you know, he's up, he's jumping up and down until they hear the glass, and then he, he looks out of the sky back down, and everybody's gone, right, they've all scattered. And he has to go home and tell his parents. His mom takes him and he walks around. They go around the neighborhood to this particular house, knock on the door, and, you know, his mother says, I believe my son's baseball is in your, your living room. And she says, he can't pay for it, but if you'll get somebody to fix that window and you'll send us the bill, we'll take care of it and we'll be sure that he finds a way to pay for it. He finds a way to work it out. We'll work it out with him kind of the idea he didn't have the money he couldn't walk over and say here's a couple hundred dollars or whatever it might cost to replace that window he needed someone to pay that for him the price tag for my sin has been paid in full Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not only our sins but the sins of the whole world maybe here's one more way to say it God's just justice is satisfied and notice this is a difference I didn't delineate it here on the screen it is a capital H for his but that's not God although in a sense God did sacrifice that of course though is Jesus God's justice is satisfied by Jesus's sacrifice that is the idea here and if you want to go ahead and turn over now to Romans chapter 3 if you're following along in the Bible Romans chapter 3 and I told you 1 John 1 is so powerful and we love it. We get to chapter 2, verse 2, and we go, wait a minute, what's this word propitiation? Do you know where we are in context here of Romans 3? 
We've talked about this recently, even the last couple of weeks. Romans 3, 23, you can quote it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't make us feel good, but we understand it's true. That all have sinned. We, we emphasized this verse last week when we talked about justification, being justified. All, me, I've sinned, you've sinned. All have sinned and miss the mark. That's the word for sin there. Miss the bullseye when it comes to God. But verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're amening. We're right along with Paul whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. And we throw on the brakes maybe again. We say, wait a minute, I don't know what this word means. But you begin to see this picture here of God's justice being satisfied by Jesus' sacrifice. Another word that's used sometimes, I didn't include it on the screen anywhere, but it has to do with the idea, especially in our English language, again, this is a word you could use, it would fit some context, although it does not, it's, it's not one that we use, but the English dictionary tells us it has something to do with appeasing, that's the idea there. You get that a little bit better here, God's, we're going to come back to this, this is going to be the last few slides, but God's justice needed appeasing, and that's what Jesus did, he was uh, the propitiation. And so this word is found several times in the Bible, um, and it's kind of closely related with a few other things uh, that we won't take time to get into this afternoon. But hopefully those two definitions, kind of looking at it in those two ways, begins to paint this picture. But here's the thing. Let's consider then, secondly, Hebrews chapter 9. And I hope that you'll turn there because there are two items, two things that, or excuse me, two parts in which this chapter could be divided into. Two parts that this chapter could be divided into. If you are making notes, you might say that part 1 is verses 1 through 10. Part 1 is verses 1 through 10, and here's the idea. It's the idea of illustration. The Hebrew writer is going to give us an illustration to help us understand about, really, the idea of propitiation. But you see on the screen here, it can also, and sometimes is also translated with the word mercy seat. Now, I don't know, you know, the different versions you may have in front of you, you may have seen that there. You may say, wait a minute, preacher, you keep reading propitiation, but I'm seeing the word mercy seat. And it, this is an interesting word that is sometimes translated that way. And there's a beautiful illustration the Hebrew writer gives between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, here's the deal. I didn't live in the Old Testament time, and you didn't either. So we don't quite, it doesn't quite make as much sense to us, but we can begin to understand. Look first at Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 3. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was a golden pot holding the manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and above it cherubim of glory overshadowing the propitiation, the mercy seat, of which things we cannot now speak uh, severally. So when we look here at chapter 9, this picture is one rendering of what the tabernacle would have looked like. Now, our kids here have really 
we, you know, to joke a little bit, PTSD when it comes to some of this. Carter's nodding his head at me. Because we had to study this as part of the Bible Bowl several years ago. And they had to remember how long the curtains were and how much the gold and different things were for the, the Bible Bowl purposes. And so we studied the book of Exodus. And if you know your Exodus, chapters 1 through 20 are great, right? It's, there's 10 plagues. There's the crossing uh, of the water. There is the giving of the Ten Commandments. We got it. You get to the back half of Exodus, and it's describing everything that goes around this courtyard and the tabernacle. And you say, that's a lot of detail that doesn't amount to hill of beans for me, right? But they had to learn about the curtains. They had to learn about the setting of everything. To us, it doesn't mean as much. But to them, they would know exactly what the Hebrew writer is talking about. Remember, Hebrews is about better. And what the, the problem, the reason for writing, the problem is those Jewish Christians are saying, that's better. I want to go back to that. I understand that. I know that. I want to go back to that. The Hebrew writer is saying it's worse. What we have is better. Jesus is the better high priest. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Those things could not do enough. In fact, it's in chapters 9 and chapter 10 where you see the phrase, it's chapter 10, verse 4, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. The Hebrew writer is saying it wasn't good enough. And they're saying, but we understand it. We want to go back to it. He's saying, don't leave. Don't leave Jesus. He's better. But they get this concept, the idea of the tabernacle. Now, let's zoom in a little more here. The Ark of the Covenant was placed in that back section, and you can kind of see it looks like a fire or a light if you can make it out in that back half behind the second veil, chapter 9, verse 3. The Ark of the Covenant was placed in that inner compartment called the Holy of Holies. And within the ark were three things, right? And it, it's mentioned here in Hebrews. The golden pot of manna, Aaron's almond rod that budded, and the tables of stone that were inscribed with the Ten Commandments. And on top of all of that was the lid called the mercy seat. Now here's a different picture. This is from the Apologetics Press website. But in a manner of speaking, the mercy seat concealed from the Lord's view the ever-condemning judgment of the law. This is the reason they're, they're having to do the sacrifice. This is the reason the high priest is spilling the blood. It's what God prescribed for them to do. And in one idea of thinking of it, the mercy seat at the top, concealed from God's view, in one sense, the ever-condemning judgment of the law. Each year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest entered the Holy of Holies and sprinkled blood on that mercy seat. And the point of that imagery is this. It is only through the offering of blood that the condemnation of the law could be abated and the violations be covered. It's only through the blood. We still talk about that today. It's, it's not the same thing. We don't have the mercy seat. We're not sacrificing the animal, but it's by the blood. In fact, chapter 9 and verse 22 is the place that we see the phrase, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Right? So it's different in the Old Testament because the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do it, but we see the concept, the imagery that's used here. Only through the offering, the sprinkling of the blood, could that condemnation of the law be abated and the violation of the law be covered. So here's the deal. The illustration is in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is designated as our mercy seat. 
as our propitiation. And of course, that's what Romans talks about. We just read from Romans 3. That it is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation. Jesus is the covering for sin as previewed by these prophetic Old Testament images. I, some of you are not with us on Wednesday night. I know the ladies have had their class. But we talked about from John 3, Nicodemus. And right, we, didn't even get, we didn't get all the way to that verse. But right before John 3, 16 there... John, Jesus is talking about the Son of Man being lifted up just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness from Numbers 21. What is that? It's Old Testament imagery of New Testament things to come. I, it's, beautiful, it's really beautiful when you can, can take it all in. And listen, I, as much as anybody sometimes need help with that, need somebody to kind of explain it, a good article or something that's written to help me see it, a good picture. But that's what these writers are doing. Jesus is saying, you all remember the sermon the serpents being lifted up, the brass serpent. You may not remember it because you were there, but you've always heard the story. The Son of Man is going to be lifted up. Here the Hebrew writer is saying, you remember, if I can go backwards here, that holy of holies. You remember that mercy seat. Or you remember your ancestors talking about it. And here we have something better. And that is Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation. He is the mercy seat. And Paul is going to mention that several times. And so here is a good way to kind of understand that. This ties together Hebrews 9, the Old Testament and the New Testament concepts regarding the covering of sin. And so that's the illustration here. What the Old Testament priest, what the high priest did with the blood on the day of atonement is what Jesus did and Jesus' blood does for us. What a beautiful illustration. It may not be as deep as the word propitiation, but we can get into Hebrews and go, I'm a little lost. I don't quite understand all these, this, but here's a good explanation of that illustration. The second part, I told you there were two, the second part of Hebrews 9 is reformation. This begins in verse number 11 and goes through the end of the chapter. The word that's translated reformation, and notice that's at the end of verse number 10. Of Hebrews 9, verse 10. Imposed until the time of reformation. The word that's translated reformation here references the mending of something that is broken. And the blood of Jesus is that by which we are repaired. In this context, Jesus represents, or excuse me, in this context, Jesus, this context presents Jesus as the key to our reformation. He offers us redemption in verse number 12. The blood of bulls and goats can't do it, but he shed his own blood, verse 12. He is the key to our redemption. He is the key to our remission in verses 16 through 23. We already read that just a moment ago, that we need the shedding of blood to have the remission of sins. Jesus is that key, and he is the key to our intercession. Our intercession with God, verses 23 or 24 through 28. He offers that intercession. He is our intermediary. He goes between God on our behalf and how wonderful and beautiful it is. I told you a few moments ago that we would define this. One way we could do it is God's justice being satisfied by Jesus' sacrifice. Let me go a little bit further with that. And I want to share this with you because this came from Brother Hampton's sermon that I was listening to, but this is how he described 
this idea of Jesus being our propitiation. There's four parts. We'll try to add each one and have the other part on the screen still as we add one more each time. But first of all, we understand that God is holy. He's perfectly holy. We are sinful creatures, and we cannot be around God and his holiness. So in one sense, God being a holy creature, God being holy, was offended by my sinfulness. He's offended by the sinfulness of the world. Because once sin entered the world, and we are sinful people, even as we are striving not to be, but we still have that trouble, God's holiness was offended by my sinfulness. But number two, in connection with that then, God's justice demands a payment for what I have done. His justice demanded a payment for what I had done. If God is truly holy, he cannot be around sin. He wants to have this relationship with us that is open, that he he wants to have that, then his justice demands payment. So if you've been following along so far, you begin to see the trail here. God is holy. His holiness was offended. But his justice, because of that, demands a payment. Number three, his mercy, and I didn't put it on the screen, but we might here include the word but. God's holiness was offended. His justice demands a payment. But. But in his mercy, he looked down in pity upon me. You see, the first two parts sound very difficult. They make God seem like some, some being ruler in the far distance that you know, doesn't have any feelings and just totally demands perfectness out of, his, out of his creation. But now we begin to see the picture of God's word. Yes, he is holy. Yes, then he demands justice. But in his mercy, he looks down in pity upon us. And here's the thing. He made a plan. He made a plan, and with that plan, God's love sent his only begotten son to shed his blood. This is the idea of propitiation. He is holy, therefore he can't be around sin, and our, because of our sinfulness, his justice demands a payment. So in his mercy and in his love, he shows pity upon us. He sends his only begotten son to pay the price so that the price could be paid in full there's nothing that we could do to show up and say that we have earned it that we have enough money but that God sent his only begotten son to shed his blood for your sins and for mine that blood the good news is available to anyone it's available to anyone as a propitiation for their sins the price has been paid in full. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. You know, it's kind of become a bit of a, I guess, viral thing, even in our world today. Sometimes for somebody maybe to pull up to the drive-thru, and they say, oh, well, the person in front of you, you know, paid, paid for your meal. Maybe you had some other event in your life where you showed up expecting to owe something, and somebody says it was taken care of. Maybe you've been at a restaurant. And somebody you knew was there and saw you across the way and decided to do a good deed. And you asked for the ticket and they say, it's been paid in full. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. We also sing another song, What Can Wash Away My Sins? And that is, of course, the answer that we know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
how wonderful it is that he was willing to do that, that God, in his pity and in his mercy, looked down on us and loved us enough to send his only begotten son. The question this afternoon, then, is have you been obedient to his plan of salvation? Have you been added to the church by the Lord because you have submitted yourself to him and to his plan through the means of baptism? We know that's not the only part of the plan of salvation. There are other things a person must do. But maybe you're here today and you believe before, but you stand in need of repenting of your sin, confessing the name Jesus and being baptized. We would love to assist you in that this afternoon. Maybe you're here and you've done that, but as 1 John 1 and 2 talk about, you have wandered away. You stepped outside of the light by being unfaithful to God. We're thankful that when we walk in the light, his blood cleanses us from all sin. And maybe you stand in need of coming back into the light, repenting of your sin, confessing it before God so that he can forgive you and you can begin to live faithfully again. We're thankful that Jesus Christ is our propitiation, and we can understand that. And be thankful that the price has been paid in full. Even now as we stand together and as we